Good morning. Well, that was uh, officially our first real snow since we moved to Banff almost a year ago. That was kind of a Winnipeg snow. I'm just kidding. We've never had anything like that. Uh, that was, uh, we just have minus 45 and bad wind. We don't actually get the snow or anything fun with it. So we had a lot of fun uh, yesterday. Shayla took a video of our dog jumping through the snow, and when your snow is this deep and your dog is this big, it's, uh, it's pretty amusing. So we had, a, we had a good time with that. Uh, if you want to open in your Bibles to John uh, chapter 3, we're going to look at the most, probably the most famous text in Scripture, and we're just going to highlight just a couple of things. Is This is kind of our last Sunday of Advent, of course, and then, and then on Tuesday we have our Christmas Eve service that you're all invited to. And so I don't really want to go over uh, the previous weeks except just to address what they were. So we looked at the, the topics of hope, peace, and joy. And all of them in one way or another we realized as we went through the various texts that those emotions, those are available to us through the blood of Christ and in a very important reality, our external circumstances can't take those things away from us. And so that's the main thrust of what happened through those weeks. Uh, but now I want to deal with this fourth week, which, which is the week of love. Love is uh, not only at the very center of Christmas, but is at the very core of the gospel. And you're going to see that uh, in going through John 3, 16, uh, 17, and 18. This is not specifically a Christmas text as such, but it centers the whole message of the gospel and why Jesus came for us. And so that's why we're going to look at that. Uh, Love is probably the easiest of all of these emotions to kind of really quantify because all of us understand to some degree what love is. We all have those in our lives that we love. We have those in our lives that love us. And so we understand and we see what that looks like so often. However, our culture right now is is really trying to hijack that word from us. And they're trying to redefine what love means in a way where it's watered down and where it actually loses all of its meaning. Culture is trying to teach us that if you actually want to love someone, then what you do is you just completely accept everything about them and what they say and what they stand for and what they believe and you don't have any disagreements and you don't uh, stand for anything different. Really, it's this. is You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe, and that is a loving way to do it. And, and what I'm going to argue is Scripture teaches something completely different than that. And so our culture is trying to take this idea of love and, and what we are going to understand this morning of biblical love and trying to take it into... Just let everyone do their own thing because that's actually loving. In Colossians 2, um, Paul says that that kind of logic has the appearance of wisdom, but doesn't actually have wisdom. And that's the reality of what we face a lot in our culture is where it sounds good and it looks good. We can logically process it through. But the reality is, is sometimes loving requires some very difficult decisions. If I love you, and a truck's coming at you, and you're standing there, and you say, well, I don't believe the truck's going to hurt me. And I say, well, the loving thing is just to let you believe what you want, so I'll just let you die. It's ludicrous. makes no sense. You better believe I'm going to tackle you out of the way of that truck. I hope I'm strong enough to do that. And, and try and do what I know is right, and what I know is the loving thing. 
but our culture is, is trying to change that so much. Rick Warren famously wrote these words. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything that they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Maybe if you think about it from a context of the parent-child relationship, is the parent knows what's best and knows what's right and tries to teach the child how to live and, and how to be a moral person. However, even in that, our culture is starting to argue with that and trying to say, uh, and you can find the, the, the research where people are trying to, to make this clear where they say that everyone is born completely perfect and completely right. And if we just allow them to express themselves and get through uh, their, those first few years, that they'll turn into a wonderful, good person. But what Scripture teaches us is that each one of us are born sinful from the time that we're conceived already. And as we come into the world, that rather than viewing others as more important than ourselves, we view us as more important than everybody else. Anyone ever had to babysit a two-year-old? That's not a very smooth thing. Arguing, whining, yelling, I want this, you can't make me do that. All these things, the fits that come out, it, it doesn't take very long at all to be around someone like that to realize they're not perfect. Now, none of us are perfect. And so the parent's role in that is to help them mature and help them understand it. So the most loving thing for them is to correct them when they're wrong, to guide them when they need guidance. And this idea of having a conversation with your, with your toddler, and as long as they can logically prove the reasons why they did what they did, it's okay. That makes no sense. We all know that that's not the reality, but at somewhere, at some point, we go, okay, but, but you know, we're not, when your kids, maybe that's okay. We can correct some of those things. But once we become an adult, then we have no right to speak that into other people's lives. Well, the Bible explains it differently. The Bible teaches us this, this, in the same metaphor that we are like children and God is our Father and God alone understands what's good and what's right and He loves us and He wants to correct us. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says it this way, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as the Father of the Son in whom He, de in whom he delights. Notice it says, the Lord loves that person, and so because of that love, he will correct and he will reprove. It's because of the love that the discipline comes in. Hebrews 12 takes this far further and explains the reality that if God loves us, which he does, and he has adopted us into his family as true, legitimate sons, he is going to discipline and he is going to correct us because the one who is not corrected or disciplined is someone who is not loved. But God loves us desperately. Ephesians 5 talks about this love uh, between husband and wife, and it says that husbands are to love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her is that love is meant to be sacrificial. And I recognize that some of you here this morning, when you think about discipline or correction, um, 
you maybe had a, a father or mother who took that too far. And you maybe are part of a family where abuse was a normal thing. And if that's true, my heart hurts for you and I'm deeply sorry. But what I want you to understand is that just because that is true of your circumstance doesn't mean that that's true of God. God loves each and every one of us desperately. As we talked about last week, as God loves us not because we're lovely, but he loves us to make us lovely. It's only through him. And so when he corrects and when he disciplines, he doesn't do it with this desire to, to squash us or to, or to humiliate us. He does it because he loves us and he wants us to grow and he wants us to become who he has called us to be. That's what love is. Love is meant to be sacrificial. And Jesus did that for us when he went to the cross and he said there is nothing that I will not do to show you the depths of my love for you. That's not an abuse of love. That's not a domineering love. That's the love of a Savior who did everything and anything that he could so that we could find salvation. So let's open to John 3.16 and read these verses here, and I'll explain why I spent so much time just clarifying that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, verse 16 might be the most well-known scripture verse across the whole world, and, and probably most of you have that memorized. But 17 and 18 are very crucial, I think, in the understanding of that context so that we can understand what this love really means for us. So the first thing that we see in there is the realization that God loves who? What does it say? The world. For God so loved the world... God loves every single person that has ever walked this earth, that will ever walk this earth. He has created them, and as David says in the Psalms, he has knit that person together in their mother's womb because he has decided, this is who I want you to be, and I love you desperately. And so the very beginning of this verse helps us understand that God is not a God who stands up in heaven looking down on us, waiting for us to make a mistake so he can discipline us because he enjoys that. Rather, he's looking down on us with the love of a good father, compassionate and caring and wanting nothing but good. Now, just like the parent-child analogy, is when my son was growing up, and he wanted things that we knew would be bad or harmful or hurtful. The loving thing as the parent is to do what? Not only to say no, but sometimes to inhibit them from the actual ability to go and do that or get that. The parent looks at the child and says, I love you far too much to allow you to make those decisions, so I'm going to bring wisdom and knowledge into this and try and help you mature so that you grow and so that you understand. And parents, we say this all the time, so that they don't make the same mistakes that we make. That's the reality of it. 
for God? Well, he chose to, he chooses to love every single person. So that's the first thing we see. Then it says that he gave his only son, so whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So the second thing that we see is that God's love is sacrificial. He didn't just look down and go, you're too far. You've made too many mistakes. That's your decision. I'm moving on. God, in his wisdom, and, and we can read through this in Genesis, and we can go through this and, and see that right from the beginning that God had this plan to send Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sins, but it took everything. It cost him everything. There's no measure to the depth of the love that God has for you. We use the word unconditional love. And unconditional love is something that we really have a hard time with because for the most part, our love has limits everywhere. It's push hard enough and we'll finally sever that relationship and go, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to move on from you. That's how humans operate. Even uh, in the most loving relationship that should exist in, in, within humans in this marriage relationship is so often I hear, well, that person no longer makes me happy so I'm moving on. God's love doesn't end. And it never fails. And it's not conditional based upon what have you done for me lately. God says, despite what you've done, I love you. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans. He says that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. The third thing that we see there's a condition upon salvation, not upon his love. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God has said, I will make a way for you to come to me so that you can find forgiveness and you can find salvation. All that it requires is that you would believe in Jesus. And then verse 17, which is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, says, and I think it's clarified here for us so that we can't get any kind of a wrong idea of what love looks like. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not the reason that he came. And we can try and spin it that way, and people can try and say all they want, that it's not loving, that God would not allow people to just live the way they want to live. But again, if God is a good and true Father, and he knows, and he is wise, and he understands the only way to live, and he says, I'm going to do everything I can so that you can come to be with me. That's love. From a, a logical standpoint, God probably should have sent Jesus in the world to condemn the world for their actions. God maybe should have sent Jesus to condemn me for my actions. And yet that's the beautiful part about grace. We define grace in, in the biblical way by saying it's unmerited favor. It's something given to me that I don't deserve, and that's God's love. I don't deserve it, haven't earned it, can't possibly do enough to deserve it. And yet, God sends Jesus into the world not to condemn the world. And so we can look at it and we can try and say, well, well, Jesus is being exclusive because he's saying, well, you have to believe this and you have to do this to be saved. And how can that be loving? 
Well, the only way it can be loving is if it's actually indeed the only way. And if it is the only way, then it's the most loving thing that, a, that our God could do for us. Is to come and to say, this is the only way for you. You need to accept this because it's the only option in front of us. And so if we're going to understand that, then, then we have to put ourselves in that same kind of parent-child relationship where we look at the child and we go, maybe let's say it this way. How many parents here? You ever told your child something and they've said, well, why? I'm just going to guess that's a yes. And how many times have you said, because I said so? Maybe once or twice, a little bit of explanation, and then sometimes you just go, that's it, no more. Don't question. Now, thank goodness God doesn't do that with us. That God has no limits there, and that his grace continues and his love continues. But the reality is, when God says things to us, when God writes things to us, and we don't like it, and we say, well, why? And he says, because I said so. Because that's the only way. Because that's the only option that's in front of us. And, and we don't like that. We want options for everything. And, and we'll try to figure any alternative way to figure anything out. Because sometimes we just don't like to be told by somebody else how we have to do something. And so God says, I sent Jesus to the world to save you. But that's the only way. I didn't send him to condemn you. I didn't send him so that you would go to hell. I sent him so that you could come to heaven to be with me for eternity. That's the only way. But in order that the world might be saved through him. God's very motivation for sending Christ into the world was that so we would not have to die in our sin. That's it. And so we can, in our own arrogance, think that God is being unreasonable and it's, and it's not fair and he shouldn't be allowed to do this. Or we can look at it from the sense of, if God's created me and he knows best, then I'm going to submit to him because he loves me far more than I could ever understand. There's an implication in this that we need to see, and, and it's written perfectly in 1 John 4, verse 10. It says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, this is God recognized our completely helpless estate. He recognized that we desperately needed him and yet desperately would try to do it on our own. And so he said, I'm unwilling for you to do that. I'm going to make a way. And I'm going to reveal to you through the scriptures, right from the beginning all the way through, that a Messiah is coming, that one will pay for your sins, which you cannot pay for. The whole message of the gospel is that God's love for us is unconditional. He's unwilling for us to die in our own sin. However, in 18, we see that there's a promise, and this promise is good news for those who believe, but bad news for those who don't. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's the promise in Scripture. If you believe that Jesus is who he claimed he was, 
If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose to life so that we would not have to die in our sins for eternity, but that we could rise again and go be with him for eternity, if you believe that, you will stand not condemned before God. In fact, John Piper says it this way, is when you stand before God with the blood of Jesus covering you, you not only stand there not guilty, you stand there as righteous because of him. It's the best news that could ever be. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now notice the wording here because this is hugely important. Whoever does not believe is condemned. What does it say? Already. The implication here is that from birth we already stand guilty before God. We're already guilty. And so that's the thing is, is God didn't send Jesus here to be that judge in the sense of going, now you stand guilty. We already were guilty. There was nothing we could do to get our guilt away right from the beginning. And so this is an act of grace and an act of love where he says, you stand guilty, I'm going to provide a way so that you don't have to be guilty. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus chooses to lay down his life. To die on the cross for our sins, even though we stood as enemies of him. That is the love, that is the sacrificial love that God has for us. The unconditional love that God has for us. His desire for us to be in eternity with him. We can try and claim all we want that God is unreasonable, but the reality of Scripture shows us that we already stood condemned before a holy God, and he went, no, 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 I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way so that even though you stand condemned, the blood of my son will cover you so that you can come and be with me for eternity because I love you so desperately. So how do we respond to this? 1 John 4, 11 says this, If God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. We love others because God loves us. God's love is all about a choice, not about feelings. And so our love should be about choice and not about feelings. Let me explain it this way. Is when you fall in love with someone, you get all those, I don't know how to quantify it, those feelings and emotions and your face hurts because you smile too much and all those kinds of things. And, and, and that's all good and that's all wonderful, but that's all temporal for every single one of us is there comes a day, a moment, where we hurt those that we love the most. There has come a time where Shayla has said something to me or done something to me that has been hurtful. And my then response from a biblical standpoint is, I'm going to choose to love you despite what's happened. That's grace. That's love. That's modeling what God did for us. You see, in any relationship, the, the person that you are closest with in this whole world is you don't love them because they always love you. You love them because you choose to love them. 
You've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the hurtful. You've seen all the flaws. You've seen every bad part of them. And you've said, I'm going to choose to love you anyway. If Shayla hurts me or I hurt her, we choose to forgive the other person, not because they deserve it, but because they don't. That's the whole reality of it. Is rather, if I forgive Shayla when she wrongs me because she deserves it, then it's based on her merit, not based on my choice to love. And it's the same with God. God does not have to forgive us, but God has promised he will because he chooses to love us despite what we do to him. This is the very cornerstone of the gospel. So here's the natural question that comes out of this. Is if God loves me so much, if God's desperately affectionate towards me and wants nothing more than for me to be in relationship with him, then why do we go through so much hurt and so much pain and so much suffering? That's the crux of everything. Number one question that gets asked from unbelievers is if God is loving, then why do bad things happen? That's a very valid question. That's an important question. J.I. Packer wrote it this way. He said, and still he, he's speaking about God, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and he will send them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world and to attach those hands to himself. What J.I. Packer is saying and the reality that we need to understand is that a lot of the time why we go through suffering and why we go through pain and why we go through heartache is because God's trying to refine us and he's trying to bring us towards what's better. And sometimes to get to what's better means you have to go through some pain to get there. Any great marriage that has gone through many, many, many years is not one that was absent of conflict. It was one that had plenty of conflict, but they figured out how to love each other despite the conflict. Matt Chandler says it this way, and I thought this is one of the most beautiful ways of putting this. He says, if we are honest, sometimes we love the things of this world too much. We begin to be consumed by them, and we become tempted to worship it. And so in God's deep and abiding love for us, he says, I'm going to send you joy, but from time to time I'm going to walk you out into the desert. From time to time I'm going to remind you of how desperate you are for me and that what you really need is me. From time to time, in my great and abiding love for you, I want to show you just how little control that you have. From time to time, I'm going to show you, because I love you, how powerless you actually are and how powerful I am. From time to time, I will show you that I am enough, regardless. That's the reality All of us are a little bit too enamored with the world at some time in our lives. Sometimes we say things like, you know, if I just had an extra couple hundred dollars a month, everything would be okay. All that means is our idol is money. If I just had a few more hours in the day to accomplish the things that I needed, then I'd be okay. If I just had fill in the blank. And we think, 
I need these things, I need these things, and we consume our lives with those things. And God's saying, no, 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 sometimes I bring you out into some of the most painful situations that you have so that you recognize that money will not save you, that time will not save you, that your relationships on this earth will not save you, that nothing will save you save Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to be brought into that moment where we recognize that I have nothing left to offer, I have nothing left to give, and I have nothing left to stand for. I need Jesus Christ, and I need him desperately. The old hymn says it best, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Is it can be so easy for us to lose focus on God and to be focused on the world, and God in his love for us says, no, 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 that it will not satisfy you. It cannot satisfy you because you were created for something greater. Let me reorient you back to here and sometimes he has to do that in some difficult ways and all we can describe that is is loving because he brings us back to the only thing which matters as a parent I don't like to discipline my son I hate it but if I chose not to discipline I would be choosing that I don't love him because my responsibility as his parent is to show him, to help him lead, to help him understand how to live, and to show him who God is, and to show him that God alone gets to choose what's right and wrong. And he has shown us in Scripture. And so I now understand what my dad or mom always said to me, and we always say these things, when you're a kid you don't believe them, but when you're a parent you do, right, is this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And as a, as a kid, we're like, okay, let's just reverse the roles. We'll see how this plays out. And then as a parent, you start to realize how true that is. And then you start to read scripture and you start to go, my sin cost God far more than it's going to cost me. It cost him his son. There is nothing. And let me say this as clearly as I can to you this morning. There is nothing that God didn't do to show you how much he loves you. And so why do we go through hurt and pain and suffering? Partly for this reason, because God's trying to detach our hands from the world and attach our hands to him because only he'll satisfy. And then partly because we live in a world where Satan does not want us to submit our knee to God. And so he's going to attack. But what Scripture teaches us, and this is the good news, and this is what we can rest in, is that Jesus already won. And it's over. And while we may go through pain now, we will have eternity with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so when you go home today and and when you have difficulty in, in relationships, when you go through pain or hurt or disease or these things come in, recognize that God is trying to do something good in there because we serve a God of redemption who wants you to be in relationship with him. And so he's going to use no matter what your circumstance is to bring you closer to him. All you have to do is submit to that. Say, God, I will choose to follow you. Let's pray. God, you love us more desperately than any of us are ever going to understand. 
But God, I pray that as we think about these very familiar verses that we've read this morning, may we understand that you love us in the sacrificial way. You want nothing more than for us to be in eternity with you, and so you provided a way through Jesus Christ. And as the text says, there's only one thing we have to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that each one of us here this morning, that we would do that. That we would recognize that you are a father that loves us desperately and that you want to be in relationship with us. And so even though our external circumstances are sometimes filled with difficulty and pain, that you are working even in those things to bring us closer to you. God, help us to understand that when we go through moments of reproof and discipline, that you are doing it not because you're unreasonable, but in fact because of your love for us. So God, would you help us to understand how desperately we need you every day and that our focus would be on you and not on the things of this world because nothing in this world will satisfy us beyond the temporary. Nothing will satisfy us long-term except you and you alone. So would we seek after that? God, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the love that you have for us despite what we deserve. God, help us to love you more and more the way that you love us. Go with us now. Amen.